This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. When you think of rum, you often think of warm tropical locations in the Caribbean. But one brand has set the rum world on its head by distilling in the UK. In a world we normally associate with gin, Scratch Distilling has forged a place and won the accolades of fellow rum nerds with their unique take on the spirit. We talked to Scratch founders and distillers, Doug Miller and Ellie Tavener, about ageing in a cold climate, botanicals in rum, and how English rum should be drunk. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. Thank thanks, you. thanks so much. Delighted to be here. Now, you both have a bit of a reputation for being rum nerds. How did your interest in rum begin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the main question, really. We, so I kind of started Scratch uh, back in, in 2015. Ellie is my, my sister-in-law. I've always loved rum. So, you know, it started out at university, as most people do, you know, trying to make cheap booze. And that was making cheap beer. So and obviously a key component of making beer is, is, is the fermentation. So I kind of got into fermentation in terms of working out different ways of, of creating alcohol. And the next rational thing for me being a, a rum lover was to try to turn a ferment into a spirit. And so you know, post-uni, I started to, to tinker around in, as most people get started with distilling in, you know, in their shed. So I bought a, a couple of smaller stills, really kind of taught myself, you know, I, I made a lot of really, really, really bad rum, I have to confess, right. um, which was pretty awful. But, but that enabled me to try all different types of sugars, um, yeasts, water obviously different combination of those different fermentation times as we'll come to in a bit I think ferment, length of fermentation it has, a, has a really big impact on on flavor profile um, and also you know as as you know with the UK the weather is is probably the most unpredictable thing we have and so tr- trying to ferment at different temperature levels as well um, in terms of uh, either insulating not insulating heating ferments not heating ferments all those sorts of things and and from there Really, in, in 2015, we then kind of needed to, to scale up, and to do that, we had to get a license and all the all the regulation, all the regulatory side of things that you have to do. So we did that, and then launched in 2016 with a product, our first, which, which was a golden rum, and, and it's golden by the fact that it's lightly um, matured in new oak and then rested in glass. We then uh, we went into a few cocktail bars, and we were doing quite a, a roaring trade. There, just kind of ticking along, and then obviously send, selling to friends, families, and, and local places. Then we won a couple of awards in twenty nineteen at the IWSC, twenty eighteen, sorry, at the IWSC, which is the most uh, prestigious spirits competition in the world. We got bronze medal for our, our golden rum, and we got the bronze medal for our aged rum, which was at that point only a year into its maturation cycle. And for that, that was a huge kind of vindication for us as to the possibilities and, and the potential of a mm. of a British rum. And and then and that's the point that, you know, then COVID hit and, you know, we lost 90% of our revenues overnight. 
and had to kind of uh, reassess uh, who our customers were and, and obviously change to a, a more consumer-facing fa- brand and, and customer-facing brands. And, and since then, since last summer, really, it's, it's kind of gone gangbusters and, and we are, we're now in the process of, of kind of scaling up and, and you know, we're, we're looking to expand the distillery. So that's all great. And yeah, I guess um, that's sort of where I came into play. So when COVID hit, I, I work in the film industry, so I was out of work. And I've always been grow- growing up with Doug in my life, being such an enthusiast of rum. I've always been so interested in what he was trying to achieve and what he was doing uh, with Scratch. And I sort of said to him, you know, I've got, I can't work at the moment. Um, and I'd love to take this opportunity to just learn what you're doing in the distillery um and at first I think he he just thought I'd do the rebrand so he said you know we'll have to change our business plan and be hitting uh consumers so I jumped on board and thought my creative juices could could maybe help out here and naively jumped in thinking I could rebrand all of these new flavors it was it was fun but a a very (laughs) a big challenge in itself and then, uh, and then I said to Doug, you know, I, I would really love to learn more about the process and what's actually going on. And he kindly taught me everything. And it's just been the most amazing year for me working with Doug and just seeing the brand really take off. Yeah. It's just been, it's just been really fantastic. So yeah, very, very excited. Now, how difficult was that going from mainly selling on trade to having to sell to consumers? I think I think it's interesting because it I think the great thing about rum is that when we were in the trade it was setting up from scratch it's never easy but you know we had a product where if you went to a bar they could stock 4 500 rums from around the world but they they couldn't stock a british rum and so our golden cocktail rum was a you know was a great option for bars because it was a differentiator for them I think where the opportunity comes on the consumer side of things is that rum as a category, as you know, Tiff, is so broad. So you have, I always like to say there's a rum for everyone because you get faithful, your white rum, which can go in a cocktail. You can have your age variety, which could appeal to, you know, whiskey drinkers or cognac drinkers. And then you've got this new category in terms of the botanical rum that we've developed as well as everything in between. And so there's a huge spectrum of rum. So I always find it funny when, if someone says to me, oh, I I don't like rum, because actually, invariably, their experience of rum would have been, you know, something when they were 15 or 16, you know, getting getting blind drunk on, let's be honest, something not very good. Um, (laughs) And and it's put them off the category. And, And in their mind, that's probably, you know, rum is a very linear, square, fixed product and actually it's so broad there are so many different variations mm. profiles that in a way at first glance it, it, it was i was slightly fearing having to sell it almost exclusively to consumers the this the offer the spectrum of offer of in terms of product portfolio has really really helped us because there's just so much choice there within the run world and within our product portfolio yeah Normally, when you think of British rums, you're thinking of rums that have been blended. How was the reaction of the industry when you started? <laughs> so when I when I start, every everyone said I was slightly mad, to be honest, and said, "You're bonkers. Why are you doing this? You don't need to do it. 
you know, there's plenty of good run up, rum out there. You can't even ferment in the UK. You and actually, you know, when I applied for my license to, to HMRC, who are the, uh, the guys who, who issued a license in the UK, I think I was the first person they'd ever had, you know, come to them with a application for a, a rum distillery. So, you know, there was, <laughs> there was a, a, I think, a bit of scepticism, shall we say. And I think there probably still was, to be fair, until, until we won those awards at IWSC. Mm. And I think then, you know, getting it into a couple of prominent bars and restaurants and, and also just having more interest on social, more interest from, from journalists like yourself. I think we're starting to see, you know, when I started, I was the first, maybe there was one or two others in, in Scotland. There's probably now 15 or 20 doing it in the UK from scratch. So, so, so for doing the fermentation side of things and the, and the distillation side. And, you know, we're only, we're a very, very, very early stage in our rum journey as, as, you know, when I talk about British rum. And I think if you fast forward in 10, 15 years, there's no reason why British rum, in my view, can't be the next Japanese whiskey. So Japanese whiskey 30 years ago, as you know, you know, completely revolutionized Scottish whiskey and, and put a slant on that. It stayed true to, to whiskey, but it managed to put its own craftsmanship, its own style on whiskey. And it's now, you know, one of the most popular styles in whiskey, you know, in the world. And, and, and you can just see by the, the volume of, of sales that they do, but also the price points that they hit, that it's got that credibility. And so for me, British rum can follow that. It's not about replacing the rum that's out there. It's not about replacing Caribbean rum. Look, I love a great Caribbean rum as much as the the next guy. You know, I absolutely adore Mount Gay, Foursquare, some of the great, great rums out there. But I think where there's an opportunity is for British rum to really create a unique style and and move the category forward and and innovate. And that's what we're looking to do. And, And to go back to your question, I think that there's been increasing acceptance of that, particularly over the last year. It's gone, you know, I think as as people have been at home, going mad, stuck at home, not being able to go out, right? They've, they've gone, right, well, what can I drink that's interesting? What can I drink that I haven't tried before that's fun? Oh, I'll try a rum. Oh, there's a British rum. I'll try that. And so I think actually in a, in a weirdly perverse way, while, while lockdown and, and corona has been absolutely awful for a number of reasons and and i wouldn't want to you know suggest it's been good there have been a few slithers of of good things that have come out from it and particularly for the rum world i think it's it's that broader awareness amongst consumers which you know hopefully when things go back to normal and everything reopens consumers then have a bit more of an understanding about the different categories of rum on style so that when they go to their bar they don't just go back to asking for the same stuff they've had previously but they're more open to you know trying something a bit new and and hopefully a British run will be that. I think just to add to that that's why we've been quite vocal about differentiating ourselves between being British distillers and not just British blenders. We really want to prove that as a British distillery we are driving and making top quality rum and there are loads of British rum companies that are importing and blending but we're not that we're actually distilling and we put a lot of our effort into trying to make a top quality rum. To be honest, the thing that intrigued me most about you guys was the botanical rums that you are producing. Most people, when they think of botanicals, they don't think of them going into rum. 
talk to us a little bit about how that came about and what you were trying to achieve with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think from my perspective, I mean, we're all about flavour, not flavourings, right? So one of our key philosophies is that if you want a great product and a great rum that that has unique flavours, regardless of whether you use botanicals or not, those flavours have to be naturally made. So that comes from the fermentation process, it comes from the distillation process, and then it comes to what you do after distillation in terms of either maturation in cask or redistilling with botanicals. Um, one of my philosophies is that I, I, I didn't want to make just another spiced rum. You know, the, the world doesn't have a spiced rum. There are there are hundreds. And and in my view, what we could do is, without adding anything post distillation, without adding sugars, colouring, flavourings, there are so many amazing plants and spices, herbs, botanicals that grow in the UK that have so many interesting flavour compounds. And so... In, in my view, the opportunity there was, look, if we're saying we're going to be doing a British rum from scratch and we want to create a, you know, a flavoured rum or a botanical rum, then let's try and use, you know, some of the, the, the stuff that we've got growing here, because that's how you're going to get a unique new product that no one else has. There's, there's no point in doing the same spicing where you put cinnamon, cardamom, cloves, <laughs> with with some caramel in in a thing and then branding it because you know you couldn't pick that out in the line out and I think the the opportunity for botanicals is to showcase the best of of Britain so to speak so it's you know British summer distilled but obviously with a rum and not a gin and it also helps the fact that you know gin as, as a market is so I think oversaturated I mean there's there are so many gins out there that what I'm sensing is a little bit of perhaps consumer fatigue. You know, it's very hard now to differentiate and, and pick a unique gin within the market. And you can see that gin distillers themselves are starting to move into other areas. And, and I think a botanical rum offers something different to, to gin lovers, a slightly drier, more refreshing drink. And a lot of people who have tried our botanical rum, who have been gin lovers, have commented on how refreshing it was to have something completely different but yet not something so alien that it freaked them out. Mm. So, you know, I think in that sense, we've developed a product that a lot of people love. And I, and, and I think there's a lot of scope to broaden it out. So in the future, you know, one of the key things I'd love to do, and, and Ellie and I have talked a lot about, is firstly growing a lot of the botanicals ourselves. So we've, we've just had completed um, a greenhouse where we're okay. going to be planting interesting stuff. And also, we'd also like to move more towards seasonality. So at the moment, the botanical rum we have is based on a batch that we made last summer. Um, what we'd like to do ultimately is get into a system where you have a spring botanical rum, a summer botanical rum, an autumn botanical rum. I mean, in fact, our slow rum, you could argue, was autumn because we picked the slows in, in September and we did a, a variety of things. but. But, but that's where I think there's a really interesting variation. And then for bars and consumers, that's, of course, way more interesting because mm. rather than having the same product throughout the year, you know, as the weather changes and people go, God, it's getting, getting nice outside. I want to go and sit in the sun. You have a different drink from that as opposed to when it's winter mm. and you want to be, you know, inside tucked up by a fireplace and it's all cosy. Again, you have another drink, but but grounded in, British seasonality so for me that's something that's a really interesting 
opportunity and something that we're looking at, at developing. Let me ask, with your botanical rum, it's meant to have a very tropical flavour. How do you derive that from British plants? So that's the interesting thing. So that took over, our botanical rum took about two years uh, to develop. We tried a number of different plants. Some, Some worked really well on their own. They didn't work with others. So to get the blend of six that we have now took a lot of time. Um, and, and what we do is we, I won't go into the six because um, they're, they're, we, we try to keep them secret, much like KFC's secret, sauce <laughs> or, uh, the, the, the spice ingredients. Yeah, so we work with six botanicals. We vapor infuse them. So much like some of the processes used in gin. So you, you result in a, a slightly more delicate flavor. But, but what we do is vapor distill with our white rum in a, in a small 50 liter pot, copper pot still. Um, and then, yeah, we, we vapor still and, and, and then dilute post. What we've, what we've done that I think is really interesting is identified a couple of, of plants that carry those tropical notes. So as you say, coconut, vanilla, grapefruit. And, and, and again, it goes back to kind of our philosophy is if you want a, a coconut flavor rather than use coconut flavor ring or, you know, second option, import a coconut from the other side of the world try to use what we have here and there are so many different plants have so many different properties that distillation as a technique and as a process you know has been used for centuries not just for creating great spirits but also for drawing out flavor compounds from plants and flora and so what we're doing is not necessarily revolutionary in in the technical sense but what is really interesting i think is the way in which we've used british botanicals as you say to derive those tropical flavour notes. Of course, the other British botanical you've used is blackthorn, the slowberry. That's a very gin tradition to use mm. that. Were you basically just, shall we say, taking the mickey from your fellow gin distillers <laughs> by doing that? Yeah. I, I think, look, I love, again, I mean, I, I, I'm a rum nerd, I love rum, but... It, 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 don't get me wrong I love a, a good G&T and I love slow gin and so for me I didn't want to just replace slow gin so our slow run was actually a lot more complicated so traditionally with slow gin you get your gin you infuse or you macerate the the slows and then you add some sugar and you leave it for six months three months have a long and hey presto there you go with our slow run some people say overly complex but I think <laughs> actually it drew out a lot of the again going back to flavor compounds when you redistill slows and when you boil them and when you vapor infuse them, you get different flavor notes. You can get nutty notes. You can get slightly caramelly notes. You can get a little bit of spice even from them. And so what we did is we macerated our, our slow run for about six months. We then redistilled that rum with slows in the pot and in the vapor path. And then obviously taking certain cuts, we then macerated again post-distillation. And the key thing for us is, as, as with everything, we didn't add any sugar post the final distillation to our slows. So what you end up with is a slightly drier, but more flavorsome rum product where, where slow, you have all of the elements and constituent parts of that, of that slow berry. And it's not sweet and it's not overly sickly and so it goes really well in some cocktails and it can go really well with perhaps some sweetened mixers but equally on its own you know my 
my my family, my my stepmom, who you know she loves a cognac. The first thing she said to me was, "It's almost cognac esque in terms of its flavour profile." Okay. And so for me, that was really an interesting mm. layer there, and I think it shows the potential of just starting with a really simple ingredient, as you said. If, you know, it's, it's just a slow berry, it's used in slow gin. But actually, can we, you know, expand the process to to make it a more interesting product? That's the whole thing, I think, with innovation in drinks generally is there's two types of innovation I'm doing in vertical is innovation. You know, some people who view innovation as just a continuation of what's already been done, but with a nice fancy new label or brand. And then there's the innovation on the technical side in terms of the process side of actually well, let's build upon what others have done, but change the process or push it forward to result in a slightly different profile. And I think that's the, the interesting angle that we go down is that latter path. Let's talk a little bit about your production. Obviously, the UK doesn't grow sugar cane. So I assume you're using molasses as a base for the rum? Yeah, absolutely. So we use grade A molasses. There's a there's a large sugar supplier called Tate and Lyle. It's been around for many years. It is British refined, so they import the base sugar cane to the UK, refine it in their refinery on the Thames, and and the byproduct of that refining process is the molasses that we use, and it's grade A molasses. So, you know, I'm sure your listeners are aware of what molasses are, but you know, to, to the uninitiated, essentially we use um, grade A. Like baking, cooking, treacle. So as you would use in a, you know, a Christmas cake or any sort of cake at home. So right. it's it's high quality, but it, it has a wonderful depth of flavour, which you know I I you know I love, and I love our white rum, our faithful rum, because we focus so much on the fermentation that actually our rum stands up on its own. It doesn't necessarily need aging meat or maturation. The maturation is just elevating and building on the profiles that we develop in in the ferment. And so what we do is we take those molasses and we uh, we ferment them with a champagne yeast. And again, the champagne yeast, you know, because we have a colder climate than you would expect than the rum normally has in terms of the Caribbean, you know, we have to work within the, the, the confines of our environment. So we use a champagne yeast on a longer ferment cycle. So we do anything between two and three weeks for the ferment. Typically, as you, as you may know, in, in the Caribbean, ferments can happen in the, in a number of days. It's very rare that you get a fermentation in the Caribbean that lasts any longer than four, four days a week max. And so when we go to two and three weeks, what you're doing is obviously allowing more time for some of those esters and flavor compounds to develop, but you're also baking in kind of settling down time. So enabling the, the ferment to chill after it's, after it's run its course. And I think that for me also, you know, has a huge impact. The other thing we do is we obviously don't regulate its temps. We run a natural ferment. We insulate because our nights are very, very cold, right. and, but, we, but, we, but we don't intervene in the ferment in terms of artificially heating it or, or whatever. So as we move through the seasons, the efficiency of our ferment changes, not by much. What we love doing is having that low intervention kind of ferment and just letting the yeast, letting the molasses, uh, letting the water that we use. We have a, a well on site, a borehole where we get natural water from the aquifer, letting that mineral rich water do its, you know, do its part. It's a very simple but amazing process. And then from there, if you have an excellent ferment, then you're on good ground for the distillation. The challenge you have is, is if you don't know where your ferment has come from, what's happened with your ferment, 
it's very hard for you to understand the potential of what your spirit could be. All of the flavor compounds that you identify in the um, distillation process and in the maturation process, their, their foundations are built at the ferment stage. And so you can't ever make great rum if you botch your ferment at the start. I spend a lot of time getting the ferment right and, and being able to work within the, the confines we have and, and thrive in that setting. Another of the differences between you and a Caribbean rum producer is in the ageing. Now, obviously, you wouldn't lose as much angel share as they would in the Caribbean. What else mm. is the difference between hot weather and cold weather ageing? I think that's a really interesting thing. And I'm obviously relatively early in our ageing life cycle. We've got some rums which are four years going on five. And I think the interesting thing for me is that the Caribbean tends to have, uh, you know, two climates, you know, hot and hotter. And, right. and I, think, I think for us in, in the UK, we always moan about the weather, but we, we have very clearly defined seasons we, with all the accompanying changes in atmospheric pressure and obviously differences between day and night, highs and lows. And I think w- w- the impact upon a cask shouldn't be underestimated in terms of enabling the wood, almost think of it as breathing, you know, to, to constrict and um, expand during those seasons. And that obviously changes the interaction and the length of time between the spirit in cask and the wood. And, and so I think that's one thing that, that really is going to have a positive impact because you almost have three mini maturation cycles within a given year based on those temperature and atmospheric pressures. I think it's very interesting, actually, as well. You know, a number of the rums that I have in cask, we obviously regularly take samples. And while they're always going to taste different because they're moving through their maturation process, I have noticed that across different barrels, regardless of of, of how old they are, how long they've been spending in that cask, that each cask tastes very different depending on the time of year that the sample is drawn. And that's okay. consistent across task, task types. And again, I think that is because of the climate we have. In the Caribbean, traditionally, they've been doing amazing rum for hundreds of years. And they've got mm. that process and they've got their maturation cycle. And, you know, they tend to use New York or they tend to use ex-American whiskey casks. And I think that produces some fantastic rum. There's a little bit of experimentation going on with some distilleries with different cask types. But I think particularly in the UK, if you look at our geographical area footprint, we've got so much going on in terms of other spirit categories that are close by and other sectors, including wine, obviously in France, and but also in, in, in England. And also you've got in the UK, this huge craft beer movement. And so the other opportunity for me on the cask side is that there are so many different cross categorization in terms of cask types and use cases that you can use. So a number of our casks we've just got from wine producers we've got a number of casks from france in terms of i've just had a a cognac cask delivered and also i'm looking at working with a couple craft beer guys to see if we can get some beer casks i mean it's very rare that use wooden casks but again that different use type will enable us to be i think more experimental in the types of rum that we produce whereas i think it's slightly harder for some of the caribbean guys because they are operating you know, in that Caribbean world mindset legacy where 
they've got exceptional rum. And let's be honest, there's not a huge incentive for them to change that process because it works and it works fantastically well. Because we're a new sector, we've got scope to kind of do what we want and experiment and try new things. Obviously, within the very broad restrictions that I think rum should have as a category. I imagine you could then, you know, you could play with cherry casks from Spain or red wine casks and a variety of different things. Absolutely. So I'm I'm speaking to a couple of Hungarian wine producers around their casks, because obviously with the cask, there are a couple of elements. Broadly, the three elements, as you'll notice, is A, the type of wood and, and the char, obviously, American oak versus European oak. You also have the type of spirit that was in the cask previously, whether it's new oak, and, and then when you get to new oak, you have the char levels, and, and equally, what if it's a used spirit, what that spirit was, how long for, and then you have size of cask. So you're absolutely right. There is so much potential of integrating European spirits, wine, beer, whatever, drinks production, but bringing it to the UK and actually using it to experiment with, uh, with rum, which I think is a really interesting um, opportunity. Distillers always love the idea that people are going to drink their spirits neat. But if someone was going to include some of your rums in a cocktail, which of your expressions would you suggest and what would you suggest they make with it? Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely agree. Like, I hate being the drinks police. I think some distillers get a bit high and mighty about telling people how they should drink their drink, right? And and in my view, I don't, if you want to drink it with Coke, if you want to drink it with tonic water, if you want to make a more complex cocktail, absolutely fine. That's your prerogative. I think, you know, from my humble perspective, there are a number of interesting cocktails that I love. One of the things that I always have in mind when we're, we're creating our rum and when I'm, you know, sipping it neat off the still at 80% is, <laughs> you know, will this work in a daiquiri? Will this work in a mojito or a Manhattan? Yeah. You know, and, and I think from that perspective, by, by thinking about that, and again, it's, it's slightly arrogant of me because those are just my favorite drinks. So I just try to make rum that I would love to drink and, and in those cocktails. And then I hope other people share and enjoy. Benchmark rum drink is the daiquiri. So our, our faithful white rum goes fantastically well in that. The botanical and as a daiquiri goes amazingly well. And our golden rum goes particularly well in a, in a jungle bird, which is one of my kind of all time favorites the patience rum that we have i drink it neat but it also goes brilliant in the manhattan um which i love and, and also the old fashioned so you know there's a lot of scope there i think to be creative you know and i think that again going back to what we were talking about earlier is with rum there are so many different types long short tall whatever of cocktails that you can use rum in and so as a category it's so broad that you could basically name pretty much any cocktail and stick rum in it and it would work. Now, if people are trying to get a hold of your rum, is it available across the UK? Yeah, absolutely. So we've just signed with a um, a national distributor called Oak and Still. So they will be responsible for um, obviously pushing it into the on and off trade. In terms of consumers, you can obviously buy it direct from our website, which is scratchspirits.co.uk, but also you can go to other sites like the Whiskey Exchange and, and elsewhere. So there are a number of places to buy. And I think, as we talked about at the start, we've, we've become almost a victim of our own success in that sense, in that we are flat out producing as much rum as we can, which 
you know, is relatively small because we're a micro distillery and we're now at a stage where we need to ramp up and scale in order to fulfill that demand. So we're looking at expanding the distillery and we, we're working with a couple of people at the moment to put those plans into, into place. That'll be exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very, it's very, very, exciting. very, very <laughs> exciting. It's very, very daunting, but exciting. And, and we're looking kind of like a, a kid in a sweet shop when you, you know, if you, you're basically designing a distillery from scratch in terms of the, the expanded version and you start to think about, oh, I could get this still, or I could get this piece of equipment. And it sounds very sad, but actually the boiler that I've got at the moment is coming up to its 50th year. And so I think Ronald Reagan was president when it was actually first made. And it so was. while I, while I love might be time uh, to say goodbye. It's got a few perks <laughs> where I have to kick it and stuff at here, and I it needs to be coaxed into life a few times. And so it would be nice to have a boiler that you just press one button and you don't have to worry about pulling togs, levers, that sort of thing. What about outside the UK? Have you done much in the way of export? We haven't. We haven't done anything. As we just talked about, is is, is trying to fulfil demand in the UK. I think we've had amazing inquiries and responses from particularly people in the US absolutely want to do that. I think going back to what we said at the start, British rum as a style, um, obviously with us leading the way, is, is, is something that I think definitely has potential to be exported overseas. And I think it is a growing category. Um, so very much watch this space. But at this moment in time, I think we're, we're you know, sadly, we're restricted because our production just to fulfill the UK side of things. Well, if people do want more information about your rums, they can, of course, go to your website, which is scratchspirits.co.uk, or connect with the brand on your socials. Yeah, so we, we're on Instagram, which is Scratch British Rum. So do, do give us a follow. I love chatting to people who love rum, and I always make time for people who are new to rum and you know want to explore it, because I think it's really important that people have the confidence to go and buy a great run. Well, look, thank you both for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you so much. It's thank been you. It's been amazing. And we'd also like to thank you for listening. Be sure to visit cocktailstostill.com to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.